Good morning, everyone. Please stand and turn into your Sing the Journey books, number 44, The Love of God. Good morning and welcome to chapel. Glad to see all of your faces smiling, tired, or otherwise. And I'm going to be reading this morning uh, some scripture as soon as it comes up here. And it is from Jeremiah 23, 1 through 8, the righteous branch. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away, and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. 
I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel out of the land of the north and out of the countries where he had banished them. Then they will live in their own land. So this morning, we have Joanne Gallardo. Uh, she'll be sharing her uh, kind of faith story. Um, so, I guess invite you up and do a little bit of uh, introduction. She is a grad of Goshen, of AMBS as well, and a Baptist Mennonite Seminary. If I get one of these wrong, I apologize. Sure. Um, some things you enjoy are coffee, roller derby, yes. as well as talks about faith. You've been the interim pastor here since January. And also the pastor at Faith Formation, Berkey Mennonite Ave. Yep. Okay, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> okay, so if, I'll, if I can pray for you yes. and for us, and then I'll light the, the peace candle. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, thank you for, for today. Thank you for chapel, the time that we can spend together and listen be encouraged. God bless what Joanne has to say, that our hearts might be open and receptive to what you have to teach us through her story. Yeah, thank you for this, this time of being together and being encouraged and edified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Joanne Gallardo. I uh, started as interim campus pastor here in January. I'm originally from Ohio. Is anyone else from Ohio? Yay, all right. I'm a graduate of Goshen College where I studied music and Bible religion. I graduated from Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary in Elkhart with a Master of Divinity degree. And then I moved out east where I was associate campus pastor at EMU, Eastern Mennonite University for three years. Then I worked in mental health for a bit before moving to Washington, D.C. to work again in mental health. I discerned a call to come back to Indiana to pastor, and so here I am. I am the pastor of faith formation at Berkey Avenue Mennonite Fellowship, and now I'm getting to be pastor to a place I called home for four years from 2002 to 2006. It is an honor, to say the least, to be here. And it's an honor to be able to speak in chapel. I don't think I was ever allowed to speak in chapel. I led music in chapel, but not speak. So this is pretty great. And I hope that maybe in my sharing how I got here, you might be able to better understand me. And then I, in turn, hope that I can hear from some of you sometime this semester on campus. 
I came to Goshen College in the fall of 2002 expecting to be changed. I had looked at other schools, but Goshen was the place I really wanted to be. I actually did not have a great experience visiting campus, but I believed the words of alumni I knew who told me that this would be one of the best experiences of my life. My home life was not great, and I had been dreaming of being on my own since my freshman year of high school. I had joined the Mennonite Church two years earlier after experiencing my home congregation to be warm, welcoming, and musical, which are three words I like a whole lot. I had grown up both Catholic and independent fundamental Baptist. I had a good experience with the Catholic Church and continued to have a slight connection through family and friends during major holidays. The independent fundamental Baptist Church, not so much. The church I attended was unhealthy and dysfunctional and caused quite a crisis of faith in my early years. All that being said, I couldn't wait to get on Goshen College's campus. My first year was life-changing. I was making many adjustments, the adjustment of not being around family all the time, the adjustment of being more on my own, the adjustment to new surroundings, and the adjustment of new academic pursuits. All of these things excited me and I signed up for everything Jesus, which is to say I signed up for everything Campus Ministries. I also signed up for everything else that sounded like fun as well. I was in Jiswa, Pax Club, what is now Parables, but was called Traveling Worship Team back then. I helped put the yearbook together, I wrote for the record, and I worked with Take Back the Night. If it sounded like a worthy pursuit or a worthy endeavor, I did it. I was a music major, so I sang in the choirs, played in the orchestra, but working for the church was starting to become my call. I wasn't sure of what that looked like, or what that meant for me in my course of study, but I let myself be open. It was also during this time that I met eight women who I didn't know would become some of the best friends of my life. We were all friends in different ways during our years at GC. Some of us had choir together, or classes together, or we lived on the same floor. I was first year roommates with one of these people. But somehow by graduation, we had all coalesced together to become a group of nine. We struggle with a name for ourselves. We started calling each other the girls, but seeing that we're all women, we not so quickly disapproved of that. So we've moved to ladies, that still bothers me a bit, but we're, we are binational and we're scattered across the East and West, and most of us are able to come back for a weekend in the Midwest once a year. These women still know all my joy, all my sorrows, accomplishments, my fears, and my dreams. These women are my family, and if it weren't for Goshen, we might have never met. So I'm thankful for the opportunity that I had to make lasting friendships here. A professor told me, Beth Martin Berkey actually told me, that I should consider seminary, and since working in the church for some reason sounded like fun to me, I did the ministry inquiry program. I was at Kern Road Mennonite Church in South Bend, and it was great. I loved it. I wanted to enter into a long-term relationship with the church, so to speak. So I immediately came back to campus and added Bible religion to my course of study. I graduated in 2006, worked at Oaklawn for a bit, 
then entered, entered seminary at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary in Elkhart. But my final two years at Goshen College were not my best. Something began to change in me and not for the better. In my high school years, I remember a distinct blank period, and I could think of no other way to describe it, and it was short-lived. I remember losing all interest in everything, not being able to concentrate, and not finding any joy in life whatsoever, but it went away as mysteriously as it had come. My junior year here, I knew something was wrong, but I had the ability to ignore it. My senior year, there was no getting around that something was seriously wrong with me. I wanted to escape all the time. I lost interest in eating anything, going anywhere, getting up in the morning, and I cried in probably every bathroom on this campus. The counseling department at the time was the opposite of helpful for me, so my depression just sort of blew up in my face. So I hobbled along through graduation, unmedicated, uncounseled, and I made it. And the mysterious thing that I didn't know was depression went away as easily as it had come. My seminary years were a lot of fun. Not only did I get to study what I loved, I got to continue with music and met some amazing friends. I felt further called to ministry with each internship I did, and I grew as a student. I loved learning Greek, suffered through learning Hebrew with Paul Kime, but that was no fault of his own, that was my fault. Dug into the studies of Christian formation, systematic theology, the Pentateuch, and I even did a Celtic pilgrimage to the UK, which remains one of my most formative experiences that I've had in my life. Toward the end of my seminary career, I did a lot of interviews. Many churches called me for an interview, but passed me up as well. I was starting to feel discouraged, and I knew I just didn't fit in all these churches. And they also wanted me to have more experience, but I couldn't get experience unless someone would give me a chance. I'm sure many of you understand this. Then a professor told me that Eastern Mennonite University in Harrisonburg, Virginia was looking for a campus pastor. I had never considered campus ministry before. Like I said, I loved my time working in campus ministries here at Goshen, but was that the kind of ministry that I personally wanted to do? I took a chance and I moved to Harrisonburg, a place I only knew about. And I loved campus ministry. I loved it a whole lot. I was frequently unnerved at being confused as another student, something I don't have to worry about now. But I loved the students that I worked with. I loved working in an academic setting. I loved the students I worked with who were never afraid. Frequently, older adults become afraid of new ideas and new concepts because they're afraid of failure or afraid of it not going exactly the way that it was planned. What I learned from working with young adults was that they, that we, weren't afraid of anything. They weren't afraid to scrap plans and change something last minute that wasn't working. They weren't afraid to take a stand on something and lose popularity over it. They weren't afraid to try something with no idea, no idea on whether they would achieve success. They also determined for themselves what success was. I taught an introductory Bible class for conditionally admitted students, and it was here that I discovered something 
Students on the fringes, be that academically or socially, needed the kind of community and support that campus ministries could offer. The folks signing up for campus ministries had multiple and excellent support systems. College was treating them well, and for many of them, life itself had treated them well up to that point. There were many folks outside the campus ministry bubble that were facing struggles, dealing with life issues, trying to raise families and going to school, lacking support networks. These were the people that needed a pastor and the kind of community that campus ministries could bring, or at least a listening ear and some more supportive connections. For many of the folks I worked with, mental health was at the core of their struggles. They were either dealing with family members who were severely mentally ill, or they themselves were learning to live with a new diagnosis. Mental health was so much a part of my work as campus pastor that after three years of campus ministry, I decided to get some more training and worked as a mental health professional in the public schools. It was also during this time that my own mental health was taking a toll on my overall well-being. Those troubles I had years ago during college were now coming back, and it was different than before. Depression had brought her sister anxiety, and for a solid year, they took up space in my brain. For those of you who don't have anxiety, imagine that you're feeling that you're going on a roller coaster just before the big drop or the feeling before a big test, or presentation, or a job interview. Then imagine that feeling happening from the moment you wake up to the moment you lie down and don't sleep. The internet does a much better job than explaining things than I do, so over the years I've collected memes to demonstrate to people exactly what it's like to live with depression and anxiety, although these just demonstrate the anxiety part. When you wake up and enjoy the 30 seconds of calm before your anxiety kicks in. Throw back to my last decent night's sleep. But what if this happens? But it won't. But what if it does? You got me there. Pretty much explains my life. Me laying in bed at 3 a.m., this happened last night, by the way, when I realized I should have said something else in an argument in 2011. My ride is here. Is late. Were we supposed to meet at this time? Is this really the place we are going to meet up? Is it actually Thursday today? Were we even meeting on Thursday? Do I actually know this person? Do they really exist? Do I exist? When someone says, don't be anxious, and your anxiety is cured. <laughs> What's the worst thing that could happen? That. I hear tea helps with anxiety. It's a lot of tea. And that's it. I was fortunate enough to have an employer who understood the importance of taking time off for mental health. I had a counselor who was helping me, but I also enrolled myself in an outpatient program that was seven days of six-hour sessions where we did art therapy, group therapy, pet therapy, which was particularly nice, and a meeting with a psychiatrist. It was here that I got some pharmaceutical help that finally helped me sleep at night 
and gave me the mental stamina to make it through a day without a meltdown in the bathroom. I cannot overstate how much medication helped me personally, but I want to also acknowledge that medication doesn't work for everyone, or it's very difficult to find a combination that can work. But I still maintain that it is always worth a try. While life in Virginia had been eye-opening for me, I was feeling a call to do something else. Maybe I should get a master's in social work. Maybe I just needed to get out of suburban life and into the city. In the end, I decided not to go into more debt, but I did move to Washington, D.C. I started working as a case manager for Pathways to Housing D.C., an organization that worked with the chronically homeless and the severely mentally ill of the inner city. I started off loving it. I felt I was living into my call to ministry, but in a different way. I was working with the folks people would rather choose to ignore, people that others thought shouldn't be a part of their city. And it humbled me. I realized how much I had and how much I had taken for granted over my young adult life. Being a case manager was very difficult but it was also incredibly rewarding. I got to see people who had been homeless for decades become housed. I was able to help people get the drug rehabilitation treatment that they needed. I saw people get jobs and become more independent. I also saw people die. I saw people who had slipped back into their addiction. I saw people who were all alone in the world with no support system whatsoever. At no point did I think I was not doing ministry. It was all ministry. Every moment of every day was me trying to be God's hands and feet in the world. I felt a particular affinity to an older Russian gentleman who struggled with English and had a whole host of issues. I put a lot of overtime hours into our working relationship. I accompanied him to the ER, took him to doctor's appointments, and went looking for him when he went missing. After not hearing from him for a week, I went to check on him. He was in his apartment, clearly suffering from a psychotic episode. I saw his refrigerator and cupboards were bare, so I went out to get groceries. And when I came back, he sexually assaulted me. I was numb and in shock afterwards. I immediately called my boss as soon as I was able to escape the apartment complex, and she then called the police. I told my story over and over again to various police folks, and then I told I, I couldn't leave until I spoke to the sex crimes unit. Having literally seen every episode of Law & Order SVU, I breathed a sigh of relief. Clearly, everything was going to be okay. But it really wasn't. A man came along, told me his department, and asked me to get in his car with him. Being alone with a guy in an enclosed space was the last thing that I wanted to do, but I did it. I told my story again. He handed me his card and said we'd be in touch. I went home, took multiple showers, and sat to think. I spent a lot of time thinking over the next few weeks. I couldn't get the events out of my head. I felt so stupid. If he was having a psychotic episode, I should have just left. 
I should have called for backup. I felt naive and stupid. I felt like all this was my own fault. The depression from the years previous came back slowly, then suddenly, as the book Prozac Nation describes depression. I lost interest in things, I pulled away from the things I loved, and most nights I wanted to die. I either wanted to go to sleep and not wake up, or have something happen to me. I found myself being less cautious, less careful, as if my body didn't deserve protection. After several months had passed, I called my detective. I told him I had wanted to press charges and that I hadn't heard anything. He said, the DA dropped the case. That guy was just so mentally ill, he thought you didn't have a chance in court. And besides, he spent a week on a psych floor. You understand, right? And I didn't understand. I had been watching Law & Order SVU. I was supposed to get my day in court, a time where I could stand up and tell everyone all the awful things that he did. But because of my privilege, I didn't understand that the criminal justice system just kind of works this way especially for people of color and for women. I'd like to say I had a God moment and that everything turned out okay. My faith in humanity and my creator was restored and I became a new person. That's not exactly how things went. Going to church felt like a futile act. Holy words bounced off of me and I simply felt numb. I felt like I was miles away from my friends when we were in the same room. But slowly, and very slowly, that turned around. Friends persisted in reaching out to me. I resisted at first, but then I let them in. What really got me back into the land of the living was choir. I had joined the Washington Chorus as soon as I moved to DC, and immediately felt I had been adopted into the choir of choirs. Everyone loved music, like I did, everyone cared about how music was performed, like I did, and had lots of opinions about all things music, just like I did. Singing was healing, performing was exhilarating, and I had found a home. I felt as if choral music slowly knit me back together after I became unraveled. I also found activism in Surge, showing up for racial justice, and Black Lives Matter. This helped me look outside of myself and got me involved in the hurting world around me. I saw a therapist who specialized in sexual trauma and we developed a good relationship where I could tell her anything. My friends, the nine women who I met at Goshen College who I remained friends with long after, they were there for me too. They were far away, but they'd call me send letters, and regularly check on me to make sure that I was doing okay. So I crawled out of the hole I was in. I'm not going to say it was easy, but each time getting pulled out became a little bit easier. I joined the land of the living, and I was in a good place again. I visited Goshen and my friends on a regular basis because that's where four of my really good Goshen College friends ended up living after having been away for several years. Every time I visited, I wanted to move back, but I kept telling myself, it only seems like fun because you're visiting and not working. 
Not long after a Goshen visit, I got an email from someone in church leadership asking if I would ever be interested in pastoring again and if I would consider a move to Goshen. I had always been interested in going back to pastoring, and of course I loved Goshen. However, I thought surely no one would want me as their pastor. My confidence had taken a pretty big, pretty big hit during my last episode of depression, and I was pretty sure that this just wasn't going to work out. So I met with a search committee over Skype and did a lot, a whole lot of nervous talking. That led to more discussions and more talks, and before long, I was their candidate of choice. I was probably the most surprised person in that situation. But it wasn't easy after that. After a whole lot of obstacles, discussions on theology, and many, many anxious nights on my part, I was called as pastor at Berkey Avenue Mennonite Fellowship, and before I knew it, I had moved, and I was back into pastoring again. And I love it. I do love it. And then some more time passed, and I was asked if I would be interim campus pastor, and I said yes, obviously, and it feels fantastic and also a little bit weird to be back on my campus again. But pastoring in two different contexts is really the best of both worlds for me. And I want to pick up where I left off. I want students to know that spirituality doesn't need to look like what other people say it should. It doesn't need to look like what your parents say it should, what your friends say it should, what your professors say it should, or even what I say it should. Your spirituality is your own. Your journey is your own. And we who work at Goshen are here to help you, possibly advise you, but certainly not tell you. You are a beloved child of God, created in the image of God. And down to your core, you are good and holy and right. There is a place for you here on this campus and in this world, and there is a purpose that no one else can fulfill but you. You are here to make a difference, and you are already making a difference, whether you know it or not. And for those of you struggling with mental illness, there is hope, even though you may not see it. There are people who care even if you don't know who they are. And there are people out there who can, hope, who can hold hope for you even when everything is too heavy and you cannot hold that hope for yourself. And for those of you who don't struggle with mental illness, reach out to someone who does. For years, the onus has been on mentally ill people to reach out and to reach out and to reach out. Reaching out is near impossible for some. For those of us who are doing well and who are able to handle life right now, we need to be that bridge for folks who can't seem to cross the chasm from despair to hope. We don't do this alone, but we do it in community. And I need you all to help be that community. And you're probably wondering what on earth this has to do with the scripture that was read. Woe to those who are scattering the flock of God. The prophet Jeremiah has some strong words for those of us who wish to cause division 
and confusion instead of hope and love. Sometimes that division is within our own mind. We create or we allow others to create dividing lines. Mentally ill, neurotypical, man, woman, Christian, Republican, Democrat, documented, undocumented. It is my belief that we let outside things determine what makes us community. What Jeremiah is telling us is that God is looking to bring us together. As our theme of the year states, we are in this together. Things may come and try to make us feel like certain groups of people aren't a part of us, aren't good enough, not whole enough. But, beloved children of God, God's self is looking to see us guided by good shepherds in pastures of peace. No longer will any be afraid, terrified, or missing. We will all be under God's care. While I think we look to God for this care, I think God has also inspired us and that we should look to one another for care as well. Which is why I would ask that we be anointed today. As God's hands and feet on this earth, we are called not to exclude or divide or shut ourselves out when our neighbor is hurting or say words and do deeds that cause one another harm. But we are set apart to be community, to be a safety net, to be a holy people called to love and care for one another. So if you would like to participate in this anointing, Dr. Lakendra and myself will anoint you give you a blessing, and you can return to your seats. And during this time, we're also gonna sing a song. It's in Spanish. Um, I'm just gonna quickly explain what the words mean to you so that as you're listening and singing along, you can really be paying attention. So it's, uh, Spirit of God, fill my life, fill my soul, fill my being. And it keeps saying, fill me, fill me, fill me. And so as um, the pastors are anointing us, just keep thinking about that and about God's spirit filling and welcoming all of us. Espíritu de Dios, llena mi vida, llena mi alma, llena mi Con tu 
presencia. Lléname, lléname, con tu poder. Lléname, con tu amor. Lléname, Espíritu de Dios. Llena mi vida, llena mi alma, llena mi ser, Espíritu de Dios, Espíritu de Dios. Llena mi vida, llena mi alma, llena mi ser, Espíritu de Now we're going to sing one last song before benediction. Please stand.
beautiful things you make beautiful things out of the dust you make beautiful things you make beautiful things out of us may the god who makes all things new and who makes beautiful things and has made each one of us be with us now in this week and in this hour. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Go in peace.